You are listening to episode 43 of the Less Stress, More Fun podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the four tendencies. You are listening to the Less Stress, More Fun podcast. I'm your host, certified coach Lisa Schwaller. Each week, we talk about how you can rise above the stress of modern living so that you can focus your energy on what matters most. All right, let's get started. Hello, hello. How are you today? Is your day going as you're expecting it? How about your life? Is your life meeting expectations? Are you meeting other people's expectations? Today, I'm going to talk to you about the Four Tendencies Framework. This is a framework that was developed by Gretchen Rubin. It's an interesting story how it came to be. She had written this book called The Happiness Project, and after it became a bestseller and she started to get a lot of notes from her readers, and she was really surprised at the feedback she was getting on the book. In the book, it was basically, do this and you'll be happy. And people were writing to her saying, well, how, or how can you be sure that this would actually make you happier? Or I just can't handle making habits whenever I expect anything. It it just all falls apart for me. And she was so curious about other people's reaction to her book, the ways people were reacting to her work that were so different from her own world view. She did a lot of surveying, and she came up with these four tendencies. Now, I'm going to go ahead and caveat that this is not a super-duper scientific personality framework. It's just something she put together and sorted into categories, and I do think it is useful. But as with any other personality tests or frameworks like this, it's not a diagnosis. It's not a life sentence. It's a way to look at the world and get curious about what people do and why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. I thought it'd be really fun to bring this topic to the podcast and to frame it from the perspective of having fun and managing stress. And then, of course, talking for a little bit about how to love the other tendencies, because if there's one thing that frameworks like this do is it it really highlights the differences between people in a way that can grow connection or increase friction. Let me briefly introduce the four tendencies in order of population frequency based on the thousands and thousands of surveys that Gretchen Rubin and her team did. There's obligers, questioners, upholders, and rebels. Obligers are about 41% of the population. The questioners are about 24% of the population. Upholders make up 19%, and rebels come in at 17%. Most people that you'll meet are probably going to fall into obliger or questioner, and the upholders and rebels are less frequent. I remember encountering this four tendencies framework and thinking it was interesting. Interesting enough that I found her podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. She hosts it with her sister and they did one episode per tendency. My kids and I were in a car. We were leaving Houston to go to San Antonio and just visit places there. 
my kids were in middle school at the time. And that tells you what kind of family we are, that we go on a road trip and listen to podcasts about personality. <laughs> so uh, to be a coach's kid, am I right? What lucky children they are. We listened to these episodes, and by the time we pulled into the San Antonio Japanese Tea Garden parking lot, my mind was swimming. Now, I would have been able to guess even before listening to these explanations of these tendencies that I have one child who's an obliger and one child who's a questioner. But what really surprised me was understanding my tendency. I wouldn't have been able to guess it. I hadn't taken the quiz that she has on her website before this. Finding out what tendency that I was de demonstrating at that time helped me see, oh, this is how I relate to expectations. It's not lack of willpower. The world has expectations of us or we have expectations of ourselves. We tend to fall into one of these categories. With that overview, let's explain more about what these tendencies are anyway. We're going to tackle everything in order of population frequency just for consistency. The first group is the obligers. These are people who are happy to meet expectations of the world outside of them, but it's harder for them to meet expectations for themselves. Obligers, as the name implies, feel obligated to other people. And that's a beautiful thing. If people ask them to help, they feel obliged to say yes. If they make a goal from themselves, it's harder to make that a priority or to follow through because there's so many people asking them for things. So that's the obliger tendency. Next, there are the questioners. These are people who find it very easy to meet their own expectations, but they find it hard to meet the expectations of, of others or the outside world, whether it's people or systems. The reason for this is questioners need to understand things. It has to pass their logic tests before they'll say yes to it. If a questioner says yes to something for themselves, it's already passed their logical criteria. If they decide to do a certain workout program, they've already done the research, they've asked all the questions, and they've said, yes, this is the one I'm doing, it's very easy then for them to follow through. On the other hand, if someone comes to them with a request, they are going to have a lot of questions. They are going to poking the holes at the logical argument before they'll get on board. And once they get on board, it's not really meeting other person's expectations. It's become more personal or internal for them. Next up, we have our upholders. Now, upholders, if they say yes to something somebody asks of them, it's as good as done. If they say yes to something that they want to do for themselves, it's as good as done. And what makes upholders really unique is that they make decisions very quickly compared to our questioners who need to have a lot of information before they'll say a yes or a no. Once it's on their to-do list, they go into action. Now, the final tendency are the rebels. Rebels are the group of people who do not like meeting outer expectations, whether it's to individuals or systems, and they don't like telling themselves what to do either. This set of people, the rebels, is really interesting because they'll sometimes go in an opposite direction just because it's the opposite direction. With that overview, 
Let's talk about each of these tendencies and what I think may be their relationship with stress and fun. This is based on my engaging with Gretchen Rubin's work as well as when I've taught it. You know, I've done workshops on this a handful of times, which is fascinating, presenting the information and then doing breakout sessions with the different tendencies. It's fascinating. Then with coaching thousands of people and seeing that there's consistencies in how people who may have this tendency to react to expectations shows up for them. Now, our obligers. What's fun for them is saying yes, they like being included and involved. If you ask an obliger to do something, chances are they will say yes, even if they don't want to. That's actually part of the source of their stress is, you know, they will put other people's needs above their own. Over time, it causes them to feel out of touch with what they want. They will sometimes generate stress in their lives by expecting people to be duty-bound as they are, to be of service. They will feel like they're giving and giving and giving. Obligers might say things like, I have to do everything, or I want to say no, but I just can't, or I'm getting so tired of being there for everyone else. Ruben talks about that in the book, that obligers can sometimes have what's called an obliger rebellion, which is when their answer goes from no thank you to, oh, hell no, I'm not doing any more. I'm out. I'm done. Maybe you can relate to being an obliger. A perfect example is an obliger will get up at five o'clock in the morning to meet a friend to go for a run. But if it's just them, they're just as likely to hit the snooze button and maybe skip it. So they are the type of people who like accountability buddies. Next, we have our questioners. How do questioners have fun? (laughs) Well, a questioner might enjoy a debate. Maybe they like collaborating with someone to poke holes in an idea. They find that really energizing. They like to research. They like to get to the bottom of something. They like figuring things out. And they can also have a lot of stress in the sense that if they're always questioning things, if they're always trying to get to the bottom of it, sometimes that leads to analysis paralysis where they don't know where to end the research, especially in this information age where there's literally more information than a single person can parse through. Maybe a questioner stays stuck in planning mode. Questioners can inadvertently create friction in their relationships. Let's say there's a questioner relating to someone who's an obliger. The obliger says, hey, can you help me with this task? And to the worldview of an obliger, you're supposed to say yes to other people's requests of you. And the questioner might say, well, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it this way? Is this the only way we can do it? Is this the best way we can do it? Maybe I need to look at some information. Sometimes questioners have stress because the people in their life think that they're being resistant or confrontational or otherwise antisocial. <laughs> when to the questioner, it's like, I just, I need to know this. I need to know this. Questioners might reveal their stress by saying, I can't move forward. Until I know I'm making the right choice. 
that comes up a lot in um, coaching sessions. I need to make the right choice. Or I just, you know, I seem to get stuck in planning. I, I, why can't I get myself into action? Well, let's talk about our upholders. What is fun for an upholder? Well, routine, decisions, follow through, writing to-do lists, and checking them off. They enjoy having goals. Like these are the people who are like, ooh, I have a new planner. They'll set goals and they get really excited about all of that. But what's stressful for upholders? Well, kind of the antithesis to this is disrupted routines or when they don't have something that they're working towards. Actually, what causes them a lot of stress is when other people can't follow through like they can. Well, and this was Gretchen Rubin. She discussed this um, in the book. She said, I don't know. I just would set a goal or I decide to set a habit and it just, I just did it. And when people would ask me, how do I get myself to do it? It was like they were talking in a different language. So they can find it stressful that other people can't seem to, to just do what they say they're going to do when they're going to do it. Why is that so hard? <laughs> so, um, that's interesting in relationships, but then, what can cause upholders a lot of stress as well is not reading the signposts of when it's time to make a new decision. They've decided, I am going to be a runner. I am going to run five days a week. And they may override their body signals that this isn't working for them right now. They'll try to push through things. Sometimes that causes them stress because they'll quit beyond when they should have made another decision and pivoted. For upholders, this may sound like it's on my calendar every Monday at seven. I can't just quit. I mean, it's it's on my calendar as if they, like there's that disassociation with, well, you could make a new decision. Or they might say things like people just need to make a choice and get on with it already. <laughs> now, let's move into talking about our rebels. Rebels must follow the beat of their own drum. What's fun for them? is pursuing things that are their own idea. They resist obligation. They break the rules and relish opportunities to break the rules. And yet you might think, oh, well, the le those lucky rebels just get to go out in the world and do whatever they want. But actually, it's very stressful to be a rebel. Why? Well, the most obvious thing is that Unlike our upholders, who will set a New Year's resolution and just do, 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 just do it step after step after step, our rebels are like, I want to, I want to become someone who exercises, but I, I mean, I look at it on my calendar and I'm like, listen, you can't make me do it. Like, you know, kind of the joke is you don't tell me what to do and I don't either. They have a very hard time setting and following through on goals and that's very stressful. And what else causes a lot of stress for them and the people who live with them is if someone sets an expectation, even if they want to do the thing, they may resist it simply because someone else wants or expects it of them. How this can sound when a rebel is stressed out is things like, I hate to be told what to do. Or if they're in a disagreement, listen, you don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. and. They will say things like, I just keep sabotaging myself. I don't understand it. I really, really want to do this thing. I really, really want to reach this goal. 
What is wrong with me? So that's an overview of our four tendencies. No matter what your tendency, or maybe you're a blend of tendencies, you might find people with different tendencies to be, well, sometimes you might find them amusing or confusing or flat out annoying. But I've developed a certain way to think about personality that I'll offer to you. As I said at the beginning of the episode, I like these frameworks because, for one thing, it helps me interact with other people. If I know my son's a questioner, I know that if I'm going to ask him something, I need to sit back and wait for him to ask the questions. I know that he's not doing it to be resistant. It's just him running through his mental processes with my other son. I know sometimes he'll say yes to things because it's being asked. And I'll say, you know, if I'm just making an invitation. It's yes or no. It's going to be fine either way. What would you like to do? I will encourage him to connect to that. So the tendencies are helpful for me relating to other people. And of course, as a coach, if, you know, there are times I'll bring it into sessions or I'll teach this to people as this is a way to look at some of your unplanned or instinctive reactions. It's like, oh, maybe you're just resisting the expectation because you have rated as a rebel tendency. Let's take a look at it from that angle. But again, personality is not always necessarily set in stone. I'm not even going here today as the whole nature versus nurture debate because I don't think we know as much as we think we do. But I will say that personality, it's a series of brain decisions that form our identity over time. We grow up, we see certain options of behavior modeled for us. We may have family systems that encouraged us to develop certain behaviors over others. As we grow, we go in the world and we're interacting with the way people are reacting to us. Our brain is designed to do what it's doing, which is running tests, seeing the results. And our brain keeps the behaviors that serve us in some way. Over time becomes the habit of personality. Everyone you meet is just a collection of practiced thoughts and behaviors. I do think things can shift over time. I think that's really exciting. In fact, that is probably the most exciting part of being a coach in the coach community is I literally see people rewrite personalities for themselves. It's amazing. I would offer that to you, that when you meet someone It's just, you're just meeting someone who's a collection of background experiences and yes, maybe even tendencies. Tendencies to meet expectations that people or systems set for them or that they set for themselves. I think the best way to coexist peacefully and playfully with other tendencies is a couple of ways. First, every tendency has strengths. The obligers among us, they are the ones who help keep things running because we depend on them. Quite literally, they are there to offer a helping hand. And we can help them by maybe noticing when they're taking on too much or when they're serving and they're forgetting that they also are well served by serving their own health and their own relationship with themselves. Then our questioners, oh, what a gift they have. They look before they leap, and they encourage the rest of us to do the same. We can love them and support them 
by allowing the space for them to do that. Also, we can offer partnership. Like maybe your questioner is an amazing planner because they put to, they do the research, they put it together, and maybe they're well partnered with people who are really good at executing. Now, upholders, what's the gift in upholders? Well, they model self-discipline. They focus on keeping commitments to themselves. That means they get a lot of things done because they're less likely to get distracted by other people's agendas or goals. We can support them by noticing when maybe it's time to make a new decision. Like, oh, I'm noticing that you're you're still doing your running, even though <laughs> you're running on this injury and it keeps getting re-injured. Like, hmm, you know, I'd love to invite you to my Pilates class or something. And our rebels. What is the gift of living with the rebels among us? Well, they show us that compliance is not the only option. They're rule breakers, risk takers. They go against the crowd. I almost like to think of them as like they're they're scouts for other possibilities. How can we support them and love them? We might notice that a rebel is just walking the other direction simply because the crowd is going one way and they're resistant to expectations. And sometimes it can help to say, hey, you know, are you are you doing this? in order to rebel against the expectation, or are you doing this because you really want to? Just kind of helping them make that decision. Speaking of rebellion, I've decided I'm not going to call it Coach Lisa's homework anymore. This is the Less Stress, More Fun podcast. People don't want homework. People want fun, fun and light things. So I'm still going to, at the end of every episode, offer an invitation and encouragement Maybe an invitation to an exercise that you can try in your own life. This week, I'm inviting you to take the Four Tendencies quiz. The link is in the show notes. Also in the show notes are those four um, episodes on her podcast that dives into each one of those. They're really engaging conversations. I offer that when you go out into the world, just notice. Notice how you meet expectations for yourself and from others. And notice what you see in other people too. I find that this framework is particularly magical in workplace settings. I've taught in corporate settings a few times and it it's always been really, really helpful. People are able to see each other more from, oh, people are just contributing their strength and their like their the way they're practicing seeing the world. And that's actually really helpful. And they'll even say, oh, you know what? I think we need a rebel's perspective on this. So it's it can be a really, really cool tool. Um, again, not to label people because people are more dynamic and more fully featured than a set of four labels. But it can be a shortcut to conversations and problem solving. And of course, please feel free to come join the Less Stress, More Fun Facebook group if you want to take this podcast episode offline and have a conversation about it. I'd love to see you there. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying what you're learning, I'd love to have you as a member of the Less Stress, More Fun community on Facebook. Join me there to continue the conversation from the podcast. Plus, you'll get access to things I share only with community members. I'll talk to you next week.